From Murphy to Mancio, extraordinary athletes, coaches, administrators, and contributors have impacted the North Carolina sports landscape. For some, their talents left an indelible mark. So much so, they are enshrined in the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame. It's time to chat with one of those Hall of Famers who dared to be as tall and stately as our Longleaf Pines. Here is your host of 15 Minutes of Fame, Chris Edwards. Welcome to 15 Minutes of Fame. I'm Chris Edwards. Today on the podcast, we visit with Murfreesboro native and Wake Forest alum, Ben Sutton. In 1992, Ben founded a company that was then known as ISP that would go on to revolutionize the college sports media rights landscape. Ben sold his company to IMG over a decade later, and today that company is known as Learfield. These days, Ben has gone on to start other companies and currently serves on a number of boards, including the U.S. Olympic Committee, the Falk School of Sports Management at Syracuse. He's a trustee at Wake Forest University and also serves on the board of the National Football Foundation and the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. We talk all those things and more with the 2017 North Carolina Sports Hall of Famer, Ben Sutton. Ben, thank you for the time, and welcome to 15 Minutes of Fame. Thank you, Chris. Great being with you today. Let's start here. You are born in Murfreesboro, grew up, obviously, in North Carolina. Talk to me about what it was like to grow up and where your love for sports kind of began. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's kind of a great story. You know, our, our, our front porch basically looked out onto a farm, um, and if you grew up there, you call it Muffersboro because you can't get the two R's on either side of the F to, to, to fly out of your mouth, right? I still... My friends still laugh at me, um, but but you know, growing up, I literally I was always a sports person. Uh, but it's a very rural agrarian area, so I played every sport I could. And but no such thing as travel ball and all that mess back in the day. Um, but one year, I literally I went. I asked at Christmas. I that we had two radio stations in the whole county, and back then, you know. Radio wasn't what what it became, and so I had a little transistor radio. And once in a while, I could pick up a skip ball game here and there on the radio. But one year, I I read uh, somewhere Popular Mechanics or something about some magazine I picked up about these world band radios and and how much better they picked up signals and everything else. And the honestly, good truth, it was it was amazing because you could get like you know Voice of America broadcast and Eastern European broadcast. You could hear all kinds of stuff. But I really could pick up more radio stations, especially at night. And um, and I became, you know, I was always a Wake Forest fan because my parents went to school there and left their respective uh, farming communities to go to, to, to college. Um, but uh, I became a, a Baltimore Colts fan because I could get Colts games on the radio. Most of the NFL games back in the day were during the day. Um, so that mattered. I became a Boston Red Sox fan um, as an eight-year-old boy in 1966. Uh, you know, it was when I got this radio in 67, Yaz won the Triple Crown and the and the Red Sox went to the World Series. And, and you know, I think Bob Gibson had, I think he had three complete game wins in the World Series and the Cardinals beat the Red Sox. But I was hooked and I could get Wake Forest games. And I could get Duke and Carolina, East Carolina, NC State games and stuff too. And you know, down east, you know, most most folks that um, you know that, that were my friends were either East Carolina or, or state fans. Uh, some Carolina fans, but in the eastern part of the state, they have you know they have big dominant pools of, of fans. So I kind of like knowing what everybody else was doing. And I used to just think 
how cool would it be? Because look, I mean, I had I finally grew some when I became a freshman at Wake Forest. But when I left high school, I was like five nine, you know, and and um, so skinny you could almost see through me. So I knew I wasn't going to grow up to be a professional baseball player or something, even though that was the dream. Um, but at least I could uh, be around sports. I thought it'd be so cool to be in in and around sports. And I end up at Wake Forest. Um, I take a job, I guess, my sophomore year and um, working in the athletic department as an intern. And, you know, by the second year of law school at Wake Forest, um, when I came to school there, I was actually working full time in the athletic department and going law school full time. Um, and uh, and that just kind of set the stage for, you know, my apprenticeship post grad uh, working in the department for another seven and a half or eight years before I kicked off uh with my first company, April the 1st, 1992, we just, we, we would have just been the uh, 31st, 31st anniversary of the founding of ISP. Um, and so uh, it, it was great because that day I probably got 50 text messages from former teammates, you know, uh, who celebrate that day, you know, every year. So it's got like a red letter day for my, my core group. So that's, that's kind of how it happened. And it was, it was a great fun journey to get there, and it's been a great fun journey since. Well, let's kind of piggyback on this, and I'm going to skip around because we only have like 15 minutes for the podcast and sure. 15 minutes of fame. But let me talk about ISP a little bit since that was kind of the first one, the brainchild. You talked about the love for radio growing up and being able to get all the ball games. Was that kind of the inspiration for starting ISP? Yeah, in a large part. And, but but the but the thing that I learned working in an athletic department that I didn't know before I worked there was, you know, Wake Forest was like every other school in the country. They were all outsourcing, like, their radio play-by-play, live play-by-play to somebody like Learfield. Learfield had been in business, before I started my company, it had been in business 25 or 30 years. Jim Host had been in business 30 or 35 years before I ever started ISP. Um, you know, Clyde and Jim were, became friends, and, you know, Clyde Lear and Jim Host, but they had, you know, three decade had starts on us, and ESPN had been in business for 25 or 30 years, and they were in the space. And CBS was in the space. They'd been in business for 70 years. And each one of them had their own model, but basically, really, all of them were focused on just kind of radio play-by-play and maybe doing radio coaches call-in shows. Uh, And in the case of hosts, they might have been doing radio and printing game day programs. What I didn't understand, and University of North Carolina was actually my case study, not Wake Forest, because I was like, you know, let's let's pick big fish in the pond and let's see what they're doing. The University of North Carolina uh, had seven different rights holders representing their interests. So they had a radio play-by-play company. Uh, that same company maybe did the the bas- the uh, football coaches call-in show, but another guy did the basketball coaches, Dean Smith call-in show. He also did Dean Smith's TV show and another company did their television football show. And yet another company was selling all their signs on their stadium scoreboards, et cetera. And another company was doing, um, you know, all of the game day programs, you know, and, and periodicals and whatnot that were being produced. And at that point, you know, Al Gore hadn't invented the internet yet. Um, (laughs) And uh, so there was no digital, uh, there were no digital assets, but, but you had this, this 
school that is the state university. They're the only one that get to have North Carolina on the jersey. A massive inherent advantage competitively, right? And they have seven different rights holders in the marketplace selling their wares and basically creating internal competition, and which is great on some level for the sponsors uh, because the prices will go down. But really, it's not great for the sponsors because they really are making a marketing buy and they couldn't buy all their stuff in one place. And so our model was a model to recreate the space and and say, we'll take all the rights, we'll bundle all the rights together, we want longer deals. Um, and we believed, I was brash enough to believe in 1992, even when we just had one school, Wake Forest University, that every school in America will ultimately adopt my model. I, I really believed it. And um, Within 10 years, the entire market had collapsed. Um, you know, there were really kind of just two big mm-hmm. competitors and um, us in Learfield and and everybody had adopted this model. And, you know, and we had grown to 20 schools. And then in the next five years alone, as the market continued to kind of consolidate and collapse, um, you know, we picked up another 50 schools. And so when I sold IMG in 2010 and went over to run their business, you know, we were the, you know, the, the, the market maker for changing the market, but we were also the market leader. Um, so basically the same, the same thesis that we're using in our current businesses of Revel XP, which is you know, the only company in America um, that can do basically everything uh, on behalf of a school or an NFL team or a pro rodeo or a horse race or Major League Baseball or a golf tournament from soup to nuts on game day. Um, the only thing we don't do is play the game. We do everything else. And, uh, and the same thing in the high school sports space with TPG is, is, you know, we believe that if we could aggregate lots of state high school athletic association rights and own all the championships in the states where we had those rights, that that would be something that would be a compelling national advertising sponsorship buy. And we have absolutely proven, again, that that is, you know, the case because they have 30 states now. Um, and last time I looked, I think there's still only 50. Uh, there's some in Washington who want to have more. Um, so, uh, but it's, you know, that these are two Big businesses that the, the the core thesis is really the same as it was for us at ISB and even at IMG College. Wake Forest, as you mentioned, was your first property. How much convincing did it take the folks at Wake Forest to believe in Ben Sutton and what he was doing? You know, um, it was uh, I had a great relationship with the president at the time, Tom Hearn. Um, he knew that you know universities are there. You know, there. I mean. You have to call it what it is. The universities are not places that are entrepreneurial by definition, right? There, there's you know, there's federal government bureaucracy, state bureaucracy, and university bureaucracy. Um, you know, there's not a lot of innovation going on uh, in terms of you know entrepreneurial instinct and creating business opportunities on campuses. Um, and and so he he very much believed in the professionalization of service provision, whatever that service provision might be. And and so, uh, you know, once 
Gene Hooks, who was a, you know, still probably to this day, the most entrepreneurial uh, athletic director or college employee I ever met in my life. Um, there, he always believed there was a better mousetrap in a better way. Uh, he encouraged me in this way. Um, you know, Tom Hearn was an encourager this way. And, um, you know, and so then we became, you know, that, that became kind of our launching spot. And a year later we added Virginia tech and, um, and, you know, and that, that was important because we needed, you know, we had proof of concept, but you had to prove that you could go out and get other schools. And, and that was in probably, you know, 1994 when we got the Virginia tech business, I became fast, fast friends with the guy uh, who invented Beamer ball, Frank Beamer. And, you know, and we've stayed, we've remained friends ever since that's 20, let's see, 29 years ago, something like that, if I'm doing my math right. Uh, and we're still friends and golf buddies. Um, you know, and I take it, 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 the perfect example, though, he helped us with other schools. He loved to get on the phone and talk about the way it used to be at Virginia Tech and the way it now was at Virginia Tech and how we had come in and just transformed the business. And he'd pick up the phone and call any football coach in America, any athletic director in America, and just say, look, you know, Virginia Tech was making this, and now we're making this, okay? We are. We have exponentially grown our revenue, exponentially grown um, our net take, and you should at least look at these guys. And, um, you know, I told him a, a few months ago we were playing golf. I said, you know, I probably should have given you, like, some stock options or something back in the day for making all those calls for me. But, uh, but it's, you know, it, the business really, you know, we just added a school a year for about five years and then it was about two schools a year for about five years. And then, um, then it was about eight to 10 schools a year for the next five years. And, and, uh, you know, we sold IMG, we had about 70, uh, partnerships and they had acquired host communications. So they had maybe 15 or 18 others, um, you know, that they had acquired before uh, our company, you know, went over to IMG. And then we immediately added another 25 or 30 schools. Um, so that when I left in 2014, 15, you know, we had 105 multimedia rights deals, engagements around the country. But in the interim, we had launched two other businesses, a ticketing business, a stadium seating business that also became national market leading. and we, of course, had stewardship of uh, Bill Battle's great work at CLC, one of my great mentors in life, um, uh, along with Dr. Hooks and a few others. Um, and, and so we had four national market leading businesses under one roof. And um, it was great fun. We had a great time. It was a nice run, um, you know. And uh, But as I've told people, you know, when you're in the media business, you kind of live in dog years, those rights, guaranteed rights fees and everything else. So when I left in 2016 as chairman, um, took a little bit of time off and decided I wanted to do some different things. But there was still plenty of gas in this tank. I got three more and I'll let you go. As you kind of sure. say, college, the landscape now with the Learfield and IMG merging, and now it's just Learfield and, and everything. How much pride does that give you, Ben, that, hey, we had this proof of concept and now look at where it's grown grown to? Yeah, I, you know, I wish their business was better than it is. Um, I, I have lots of friends, you know, that, that are there and, 
and I pull for them, you know, because I did spend, you know, almost a quarter of a century building the business. And so, um, you know, but, but I, it's, it's, um, you know, it's, I think it's a great business and, um, and I am very prideful of our team and the effort and the work that went in uh, to building um, that enterprise. And I know other competitors have entered into that space uh, now and, um, you know, but it's, it's a, uh, it's just, you know, like I said, it's, it's a great business. It's a constantly evolving space and uh, I always wish them well. For you personally, you're on a number of boards, a trustee at Wake Forest, the Ronald Reagan Foundation, U.S. Olympic Committee, the Falk School of Sports Management at Syracuse, the National Football Foundation, Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame. I could go on and on. So you're still in a lot of different area of sport. As you take a step back and kind of look at your impact on sports, not just basketball or football or media, but whatever it is, how much pride does that give you that you're part of the larger group that's making sports better? Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you, I care about that stuff. You know, I care, obviously, I, I, I care about, you know, upholding the Reagan le- legacy and perpetuating uh, the Reagan ideal. Um, I'd do anything to have a Ronald Reagan in our society today uh, politically um, and get out of this lowest common denominator uh, society and politics that we seem to, to have. Um, but lots of those boards are, are around first tee. Olympic Committee, uh, et cetera, Wake Forest. Um, th- these are things I care passionately about because you know, sport is a way out and to a be- and a way forward to a better life for a lot of people. I mean, uh, the 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 scholarships that we provide, the scholarship money we provide at Wake Forest, as an example, is designated for first generation college students and. Um, you know, and because I care about that. I mean, I, 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 you know, my, my dad and his brother were the first person in his family to ever go to college. My grandfather on my mother's side, first person in his family to leave the, the farm and, and go to college. And it paradigmically changed not just their lives, but then the next generation and now the next generation. And so I, I just think, you know, that's incredibly important. The first T you know, it's, it, I mean, it's really, it's focused on all kids, but, but the, you know, the primary focus is, is on kids that live in our cities that don't have access to golf and, you know, and, and it's an, it can be an expensive sport and it's a way it's, it's again, a way out of sometimes despair and into a good positive place where they have great role models and they learn great life lessons uh, and then hopefully sets them up for su- success in the rest of their life. And I happen to believe, you know, that in football, I mean, I'm, you know, I think it's the greatest of all team games. I couldn't play football. Look at me. Um, you know, so, uh, but I love the game and, uh, and, but, you know, but I love all sports, but, but I, I just, you know, football uh, has kind of been under attack for a number of years. And so, um, I, I think it teaches so many great life lessons. And so I only kind of engage in things that, that where I feel like we can have a meaningful impact. Same with the Olympic committee. Um, you know, our funds that we put in the, into the Olympics, uh, movement are primarily designated to help kids who are Olympic athletes, then create educational opportunities for them coming out. Because, you know, the thesis is, is, is that, you know, if you put somebody in a 
in a place where they learn a vocation or, or they go to college, um, they'll have, you know, uh, exponentially better life results in terms of their earning potential. So that's very important for us. And so, um, you know, I, I have to say I turn down a lot more boards that I'm not on, uh, but I'm not, I can't clone myself. So I, I like the places I am right now. Let me wrap up with this. And this is the place I like to wrap up with everybody. You've been successful in a lot of areas of life. If there's somebody listening to the podcast that is looking for ways to be successful in their life, what are your biggest keys to success to be a good, successful person? Well, I, I would say this, I mean, I've lived, you know, I grew up pretty modestly in Eastern North Carolina and uh, I won't go into the whole recitation or story, but um, you know, Walt Disney had it right. If you can dream it, you can do it. And um, and that is particularly the case in the United States of America. And I travel all over the world. Didn't used to be able to travel, but now I travel a lot for business, a lot for board work, and some for pleasure. Um, but what I can tell folks that watch or listen to this is that every place I go in the world, everybody I meet wants what we have in America. We have lightning in a bottle. We're the freest country in the history of humankind. You can do anything that you want to in this country. There are lots of people right now beating the drum um, about, uh, you know, wanting guaranteed outcomes, uh, you know, and that's not what America's about. That's what, you know, I mean, quite frankly, that's what Marxism is about. Uh, the, you know, what I believe in is a quality of opportunity. And, and I, you know, I really and truly believe that, that if I can have the life I did, that any American ha could have the same life or better if they chose to apply themselves and work hard. Um, and you know, one thing my parents instilled in me growing up was hard work and grit and determination. And, um, I've met, I've worked with, and I've employed lots of hard workers in my career. Um, but I'm, you know, I can tell you that most of my teammates are glad that I do not apply the same work ethic standard to all of them that I apply to myself. Even to this day, um, I refuse to let anyone outwork me. And I care about it. I care about what we do. Um, I believe that God called me to earth to be a job creator and American free enterprise practitioner. And um, I take great pride in that. And I believe that, you know, giving people meaningful work um, and them earning their way uh, creates honor, uh, not just economic opportunity uh, for their family. And so, you know, I'd, I'd say, you know, bear down, uh, work hard. Um, learn from others, uh, don't expect free lunches, um, you know, get after it every day and make your dreams happen. Ben, thanks so much for doing this and thanks for all that you do for the Hall of Fame. Thanks, Chris. Great to be with you, buddy. Thanks to Ben for his time on the podcast this week and thanks to you for joining us as always on 15 Minutes of Fame. For the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame, I'm Chris Edwards.